Welcome all you Plus Two Comedy Modifiers to a very special episode of the Plus Two Comedy Podcast. I'm your host as always, TV's Noah Houlihan, and before I explain why this episode is so special, I gotta tell you about some upcoming shows. October 27th through the 30th is New Jersey Game Con, which will be at the Tropicana in Atlantic City, New Jersey. So please come see us there. And if you can't make it, then come see us at South Jersey Gamer Con in Woodbury, New Jersey on the 29th of October, where we will be doing some cosplay pro wrestling. Two cons the same weekend were crazy. Come see us at either or both. Also, this episode of the Plus Two Comedy Podcast is brought to you by Chikara's No One's First and You're Next, which is this Sunday, August 21st at 3 p.m. You will be out of the Wrestle Factory before SummerSlam, so please come to this fun-filled Lucha Super Party at the Wrestle Factory. Tickets are still available. You can get them at the link below, or you can watch live on Chikaratopia by going to ChikaraPro.com. And if it's a new account, the first seven days are absolutely free. So please sign up for Chikaratopia and check out No One's First and Your Next, featuring such bouts as The Hermit Crab taking on past guest of the Plus Two Comedy Podcast, Ophidian. Plus, the United Nations take on The Big Deal, headed up by the former Hornswoggle from WWE. And also check out Team Fire Ant versus Team Hollow Wicket and Princess Kimberly versus Heidi Lovelace. Now, this is a very special episode of the Plus Two Comedy Podcast. This is a super panel. This features Brian Collin, who created Rampage. It also has Doc Mack, the owner of the largest arcade in the world, and also Jeff Lee, the creator of Qbert. So now, without any further ado, take it away, Kirby Crackle. Who's ready for a super panel? I am. <laughs> I don't know. I, I something about GamerCon that hates applauding when I'm giving them the clear indication of when to applaud. You need lights. Applause lights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This means applause. Ready? Who's ready for a super panel? <laughs> still flashing. Still flashing. <laughs> We are here at GamerCon. Uh, I am here with my co-host, Mr. William. Hi, hi, hi. He doesn't have his own microphone, so don't expect to hear much from him throughout the rest of this podcast. I have no. long arms, and I'm stronger than you. <laughs> uh, but we have uh, three video game legends here. You guys have just graduated to legends by being on this show. Congratulations. Well, thank you. Uh, introducing first, uh, he is the creator of Rampage. Please give it up for Brian Collins. Thank you. Thank you. Also, we have the owner of the biggest arcade in the country or in the world? World. In the world, Galloping Ghost. Please give it up for Doc Mac. All right. 
And then we have, in the VIP area, off the stage, in the lounge, we have the creator of Cuber. Give it up for Jeff Lee. Thank you. Oh, is this thing on or not? Yeah, I guess it is. And we're going to turn Jeff Lee's mic down. Because <laughs> it is too loud. <laughs> well, I was right up on it. There you go. All right. Now we're good. Okay, so uh, we'd like to start with an icebreaker question to uh, kind of just break the ice, make, make sure we're all friends here. Uh, so uh, out of the three of you, which of you is the most important in the world of gaming? Doc Mac. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, and I, Jeff and I did our uh, thing uh, 25, 30 years ago, yeah. and the fact that uh, you people are here today is uh, guys like Doc and Jerry and keeping the uh, arcade <laughs> world alive. <laughs> so <laughs> without question. So Brian votes for Doc Mac. What do you think, Doc? Uh, I I couldn't even tell you. It's both these guys are <laughs> legends, <laughs> right? And so you can't you can't decide I which one of them is more important. You, you couldn't pick which one is more important. <laughs> all right, all right, interesting. Uh, Jeff, oh uh, boy, I'd, I'd have to agree with Brian. You know, that's uh, we we did our work long ago, and it's it's this new generation that I never even knew existed. That's uh, keeping it going. So uh, my hat's off to Doc and his associates and uh, other arcade owners like him. All right. So Doc wins. Doc, feel free to kick Jeff out of the VIP lounge. (laughs) As you are the most important person here. Uh, So since you were voted the most important, we'll start with you. Doc, you own uh, Galloping Ghosts. Yes. It is the largest in the world, in the world of arcades. Uh, So how long did it take you to immense all these video games? Uh, we've been open for six years now. Uh, we opened with 130 machines, um, and we, we put up games constantly. So right our first year, we put up an extra 100 machines, and uh, it's just been consistent growth since the day we opened. Do you know how crazy of a sentence an extra 100 arcade games is? <laughs> <It's>, yeah. <laughs> it, it doesn't, when you're there, it doesn't seem like there's, uh, anything that outrageous going on but when you do take a step back it's yeah that's kind of crazy <laughs> maybe not to you first time i walked it's, in it blew my flipping mind <laughs> you know, I, it, it's very outrageous yeah, daniel Bassini was just here and him doing mortal Kombat, not enough to buy a mortal Kombat cabinet <laughs> one cabinet <laughs> he was in it <laughs> So do you have a uh, a Qbert machine? And we do. Open codes? Do you have we a Rampage? We absolutely do. It is actually signed by none other than Jeff Lee. Oh, wow. <laughs> do you have a Rampage machine? We do. We have. Uh, it's actually been interesting. Like The more, uh, since we've started talking more with the, the designers, uh, the shift from just like getting games that I want has kind of been like, you know, I want to get I want to get this rare game that Jeff worked on, and I want to get this rare game that Brian worked on. Mm-hmm. And we did uh, I forget what event it, it was uh, Developers Day, and uh, we got uh, was it Cosmic Cruiser? That, well, that was one of them. Yeah. 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 We I tried to get we had uh, Jeff was there, Brian was there, and um, we tried to get oh, and uh, Chris Tang who worked on Primal Rage. Oh, nice. And we, we flew him in from California and we tried to get a game of each is each of theirs for this, this event that we were doing and just kind of surprise them with it. And it's just so awesome to see their reactions because a lot of these games they haven't seen in a long time. 
And just to hear all the stories, like everything comes flooding back to them. Then you hear the stories about how they were developed and this happened and mm. why things are like they, the way they are. And it, it's just absolutely fascinating. I'm glad you said that because I tried to pull the most obscure games that Brian and Jeff made. And I wanted to ask specifically about those obscure games. So let's, let's talk to Brian. What's Max RPM? Max RPM was an attempt to do, uh, uh you guys, you're not, you guys, I think you, you must have discussed this. A doc takes great delight in, in finding, as he puts it, the more obscure, you know, I, I like coming out and saying, Hey, yeah, this is a game you know me for. And this is one that has done very well. And, and doc says, yeah, but I've got, you know, I've got the only remaining RC squared in the world you know, or I've got, and Max RPM was a, um, uh, Bally Midway in the early days had a very limited hardware system and many of my most successful games were pushing that hardware system more than people told me it could do. In some cases though, we, we tried Max RPM, we tried to do a f- first person driving game. The programmer, uh, the programmer and I was asked to do the art and come up with a way to uh, do a game that looked like it was scrolling hardware, and it wasn't. And okay. uh, so we tried the outrun approach of changing the 16 colors we had to work with uh, to make the ground grass look like it's moving for you, similar to outrun, but not okay. as well. Okay. Um, right. they, they had a much more powerful system. So it was a game in which you had a gas pedal, a clutch, a stick shift, and uh, it was... Um, <laughs> it was an interesting development experiment, and the best thing I can say about Max RPM was uh, the um, the it was not as bad as Spy Hunter Two, okay? <laughs> which was uh, yeah. So let's talk about somebody else's uh, <laughs> failures. Well, do you have Max RPM at the Healthy Ghosts? We actually have both Spy Hunter 2 and Max RPM in storage. What, one, one of the things Turns out where, no one was playing that's them. where they should remain. It's essentially, what we want to do is have areas to showcase both, both Brian and Jeff's games, mm. like, collectively. And, well, at the time when they came out, um, and even with, with Jeff, there's games that have been canceled because they didn't right. prove to be earners. But the incredible thing now is you can put them out in front of people and it's a whole new audience. Right. And the appreciation for games, even if they weren't popular then, mm-hmm. they'll, they'll get their own fan base now. Uh, like Argus was a, game, a prototype game that was canceled in 82. And we did, we did this whole thing. Uh, Jeff was, amazing and made us new side art for this cabinet like there was not even a prototype cabinet out there right and did a whole art package and we did this whole event for it and people were coming in for it and they're loving it they nobody can understand why that game was canceled oh wow that's awesome because i will say that i realize that we have come really far as gamers as a genre that we've gotten to the point where people will get to games that are so bad that it's good (laughs) <laughs> like there are finally people who are like this game's so broken I love playing it. <laughs> so if, if it's ba- it's still like the arcade scene really seems if it's bad they won't touch it. 
And that's really kind of the litmus test of, of the whole thing. To right. Like Argus, people play it every single day. It's not something that they play once that's and awesome. it's like, it's, there's people that, that they've just appreciate it differently. Yeah. Yeah, yes, the test bag in that day was, is this money going to bring in enough quarters that operators want to buy it and therefore we'll manufacture it. So if it didn't collect enough, they didn't make them. And it was a sliding scale. When uh, when Bally was having a good year, you needed to make this much. Whereas the next year, as the uh, sales were dropping off, you know, games that got canceled because they only made X dollars a week would have been produced the next year because, oh, X dollars a week would be great right now. Right. So we, there... You know, I kid Doc. I kid Doc for for digging this stuff up, but it's wonderful <laughs> that he does. It really is wonderful. I mean, I've got, jeez, oh, how many? I mean, how many games of mine do you have there? A dozen. Uh, yeah, about about a dozen, it's and it's it's insane. And yeah, some of them are embarrassing, but <laughs> but and on the on the whole, it's wonderful to go in because you're watching. Fathers play with their kids and moms playing with their kids and they're and telling them and what they have to come look at. Yeah. And that's just great to see 35 years later. Yeah. It's just what I used to play. Uh, Doc, uh, do you also have uh, pinball machines? Uh, we currently have three. We've kind of scaled back on our pinball. Uh, it's is one of them the uh, amazing mashup of video games and pinball known as Caveman? I unfortunately do not have a caveman. <laughs> For the folks at home, I'm the only one that noticed Jeff Lee shaking his head upsetedly. <laughs> well, I don't think there's many around. In fact, I was talking to a gentleman last night, and there's a, a guy out this way, Todd Tucky, is that his name? Yeah. Who made a video about caveman, and he you know, took the glass off of showing all the features and took the back off and here's this and that. How oh, I love this game. By the way, I had 30 more of these, but I didn't have room in my warehouse, so I destroyed them. <laughs> so, uh, good luck getting a hold of one. There is one in, at Star World's Arcade in DeKalb, Illinois. Yeah, I was, I, I love pinball and I was fascinated by this game. I was doing research on you and I found out about Caveman. T tell us more about it. By the way, Jeff Lee created this. It's not something well, I randomly I brought up. It's the first <laughs> game I worked on at uh, Godley. You know, Godley was a, a pinball manufacturer like like Midway had been and uh, mm -hmm. uh, Williams and so on. And this was their, they opened a video division. I was hired to be the artist, do the video graphics. And when I came on board, this was my first project. Uh, not sure who designed it. It might have been John Burris designed the pinball version and it's a standard pinball game if you love pinball you probably like playing caveman but then they added this monitor at the top and at some point your ball gets captured and you go into video mode and essentially caveman is a kind of a pac-man ripoff you run around a maze and trying to kill monsters or they're trying to kill you depending <laughs> on what portion of the game you're in uh so that actually was a very good first project we had four colors to work with, uh, one That's of which was transparent. That's such a weird thing, like to think about nowadays. Yeah. and I think I there was little enough memory that I had maybe maybe at most three steps of animation for any given character. Um, <laughs> you know, they were sixteen by sixteen sprites. Um, it 
one point they wanted to do an actual overlay that would have been printed up like an animation cell so they didn't have to spend processing power on background sprites a maze. But so I actually hand painted some cells like that and I still have them around, but they eventually oh, wow. pop for the uh a little more memory, I guess. Um so that was uh my first project. It was a lot of fun. It was a, a challenge. I got to use some classical animation techniques. Uh the game had a kind of a splash in the press at the time, which was all trade press. Right. Um, they actually credited us, which was very unusual for our company. Um, and uh, it didn't do very well then at the uh, with sales. So, and and our our VP Howie Rubin wanted to kill the project entirely. He hated it. Um, but it's my, my first game, so I've always had a. And, and were you serious that a bunch of them court. were destroyed? According to this uh, Todd Tucky, yes. Oh, they all ended up in a landfill in New Mexico with uh, E.T.? I guess. Or, <laughs> I don't know, maybe with salvaged parts. For oh, that's crazy. But l- now let's, let's talk about the hits. Let's talk about the big games that everybody knows. Let's talk about Rampage. Rampage was fun. Ram- Rampage, I-, I always thought was interesting, because one, you're, you're playing as what is classically the bad guys. You're, right. you're destroying buildings you're the, and eating you're humans. You're the anti-hero. You started yes. out as a human, but thanks to, you know, biological waste and, you know, in terrible, you know, corporate greed, you mutate into someone with a you know, a little more, um, it can be regarded as a danger to the general public. But if and it was, qu- why are they turning their anger on, like, low-income housing? The, no, 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 <laughs> these were not at all. This was, you, you, you can't view it through, you know, this millennium's eyes. Um, as Jeff pointed out, we had, when I started, we had 16 colors that we were told about. Because the head of engineering didn't want to set the bit for the second palette or the third palette or the fourth palette, making 64 colors. Because if you tell the artists that you had all those colors, they just want to use them. (laughs) This is back before all colors were discovered. Yes, right. So, so there were orange. Orange is a lie. (laughs) So, uh, we, we were pushing stuff to the extreme. So those, were not low-income housing. Those were cutting-edge architectural masters with yeah. the few background blocks we had. And that was pretty much the impetus for Rampage. Everybody thinks, hey, the idea was based on you know this or based on that or you wanting, wanting to eat people or whatever. The impetus for Rampage was we came from a trade show where I saw comp- competitors that could do background animation. And I said, why can't we do that? And they said, no, nah, sorry, can't do it. You can't do anything except, you know, animation has to be only rectangles. And so I looked at right. one of the other artists, a gal I was working with, and said, okay, a building sliding into itself is animating rectangles. So we cover up the bottom with some dust clouds, which I still use in every game. And, uh, and then I can do big monsters because I came from a film animation background. I like pen and ink. And when they told me I was going to be working for the animation side of Valley Midway, I thought, Pac-Man? Really? Animation? This is what they need <laughs> me for? But I was lucky. My first game was Dis of Tron, and they really did need an animator animator. But I wanted to do big faces. So right. the big buildings falling into themselves, 
let us do a game where I could show emotion on the faces and finally I could start doing the kind of humor that yeah. I hadn't seen in games yet. Yeah, humor in games is always very difficult, but when it's done well, it is a wonderful thing to see in games. I'm going to take that as a compliment. It was. <laughs> okay, that, good. That just making sure. Way. I was I, just... I was just wondering when it was done well. So why'd you screw up in Rampage? No, 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 absolutely not. No. Absolutely yeah, no, not. I, I love. I mean, if, if it's very cynical sounding, but I'm sorry. If someone is laughing when the game is over, they're more likely to reach for that next quarter. And as Jeff was saying, everything was about how much this game earns. Yes, you had to get that next quarter, and I just found that the easiest way to do it was to keep them laughing. Keep them laughing. That's a lot better than making the game too hard to continue playing. <laughs> that was, well, that was pretty standard. You joke, but that was pretty standard. Oh, you know, no. I mean, there's plenty of games where, hey, this is a neat premise, and this is, uh, you know, this is kind of fun, and now let's tune the game, and the programmer would just simply say, okay, throw more at them until they yeah. can't do any more. <laughs> and the nice thing about being an artist back in those days is an artist got to work on like six games at once where a programmer would only work on one. And it was always... Jeff and I are up here, but it it was always a team effort. I mean, there were always multiple people. I'm not a programmer, so when I say I'm a designer, that's what it means. But I was working with a programmer who was also a designer, Jeff Nauman on Rampage. Right. And we figured out that, okay, we can throw little things at you in Rampage and not and overpower you, but in small, tiny, subtle ways that isn't going to piss the player off. Yeah. Whereas I've worked with other programmers that their answer was, no, nah, just throw more at it. Yeah. And so it you need to have a good programmer who also thinks like a designer. Who yeah. and designer is basically someone who's the way I think of it, you're making the game for yourself. This is right. something I want to play. So yeah, I never felt like Rampage was unfair. Mm. And then there was some genius then who thought, well we can extend play. You're dead, but if you put another quarter, you can continue from where you're at. Where you left so, off, right? Yeah. So that was a, so, uh, a big step ahead. Yes, sir. How, how did you come up with Cubert? Well, the uh, long story is, back in my college hippie days... Uh, this is the answer I expected. Yeah, we were... Uh, <laughs> You know, we had the black light posters and uh, <laughs> M.C. Escher, the, the great Dutch artist of optical illusions and periodic drawings was, you know, a favorite of that, that kind of genre. And I certainly had those hanging on my walls. So mm-hmm. I always had a fascination with Escher and still do. Um, so, you know, I was working with periodic cubes and other shapes and Build a pyramid at some point in the 70s, and um, or shapes like that. And then when this gig came along at Gottlieb, that was just there in my background. Um, and one day, it, you know, I thought about a pyramid type shape, build up cube. Doesn't that look cool? And we put it up as a uh, just something to look at, you know, kind of an exercise. And from there, I thought, well, there ought to be something jumping around on there, so. Yeah, you know, I drew up some uh, creatures for that, and not not the Cubert we uh, know today. Actually, the Slick and Sam characters was the first character I had, uh, you know, but, but uh, proposed for that. And then uh, I wrote up a game proposal. Originally, the idea was to have it to be a shooting game, 
And by really? that time, we had Cubert with the big nose, and you would have been shooting out of the nose. Um, ah. Warren Davis uh, had just recently started at Gottlieb. In fact, he had done some of the support programming on Argus, the superhero game that Doc mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. And he was looking for a project. He saw that and asked, can I work with that? And said, yeah, sure, take it away. So he... Uh, Started doing, uh, having the balls drop down. That was his programming exercise. Which way will the ball drop as it goes down the cube? And then peep, oh, wouldn't it be cool to have some characters on here? And, you know, like Brian said, there were a lot of people in the mix. And we all worked like in a common room. People come by, observe Warren. They would chime in with ideas. And he became like a clearinghouse. And, of course, he had some great ideas of his own. And, it just evolved, uh, and fairly quickly, actually. We felt from early on that this was going to be uh, a hit for us. And, and it instantly was. was. Yes. It instant instantly hit. was, yeah. There was something about the look of that game that, you know, again, they were competition at yeah. that point. Right. And, you know, you hated yourself for going, oh, look at this. This yeah. is great. Well, and the look and the sound. You know, the sound was a part of it. And the sounds. Yeah, Dave yes. Thiel uh, did a wonderful job with, you know, the random phenomes working with the, the chip. And uh, people think they hear stuff all the time, but they're just hearing random sounds. Um, and the sound effects and all that—it was just. Is there like a, a Cubert urban legend that you're putting like subliminal messages in there? Oh, uh, that may be a legend, but yeah, that's all it is is a legend. Yeah, <laughs> it's just me saying "Hail Satan" backwards. Yeah. It's not. There's nothing. Well, speaking of sounds, why does Cubert swear? Oh, yeah. Uh, it's just because I have a dirty mind. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. I swear. So yeah, does Cuba. Right. Why not? It seemed, it seemed perfect. Why don't more characters It seemed perfect. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Uh, so what would you say the plot of Cubert is? Uh, you know, actually, there is no p- plot as the game was developed. Afterwards, we kind of thought about it. And recently, I found a page I had written, like, in 1982, describing the, the backstory as it would be. Oh, I now. would love to know the backstory. Yeah. Because if yeah. there wasn't one, we were going to create yeah, one. Yeah, no, no. There there was a backstory, and nothing ever came of it, because uh, at some point it became part of the Saturday morning Super Cade show, and they turned Cubert and his crewmates into, like, a bunch of teenagers or something. It was just terrible. Uh, <laughs> they were wearing, like, Letterman jackets and... Typical Cubert. Leather jackets and... Uh, he doesn't have arms. Yeah, it was like Happy Days or something. It was awful, you know? But when Cubert jumps the shark on the skis... <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that happened early on, yeah. yeah. You guys all love Happy Days, right? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, real quick, I do want to bring that up, and this is a good segue. Cubert uh, has made some uh, movie debuts recently. Yeah. Well, what are your thoughts on his role in the hit film Pixels alongside <laughs> of Adam Sandler? Was Pixels a hit? I'm, uh... <laughs> I'm being facetious. <laughs> well, well, first let's go back to Wreck-It Ralph, because th- okay, that right, one came along first. Let's talk about movie first. And I did see Wreck-It Ralph uh, early on. And I enjoyed it immensely so much. I went back a second time. I thought they did a great job. Uh, everything just was so right on uh, with the little universe they created there. And I thought Kubert's role was great. He was like this homeless dude. 
it was that the secret and no one could understand them and and then it was great at the end you know they made him part of fix it felix i thought that was all great um pixels came out about a year ago i yes yes and i was actually out of town at the time so there were invitations to go to see pixels but i was up in alaska so I was unable to do where that. Where there was no civilization. No. Well, there was no movie theaters where, where, where we were. Um, any rate, I, I had read some interviews and a lot of commentary and people seemed very mixed about the movie. Do you so, not know what Kubert does in that film? I finally, I love to I reveal finally, it to I finally, you live on no, this I finally podcast. saw Pixels maybe two weeks ago. Oh, you, so you did see it? I did see it. And, and what do you uh, think of Cuba? I was completely <laughs> baffled. Uh, I mean, the movie I thought was not very good. I mean, it was predict- predictable. and uh, But, yeah, Kubert's role, I, I'm, I'm conflicted, you know? I'm, mm-hmm. I don't own Kubert. I don't, der- I, don't der- I don't derive any revenue from that kind of appearance. Uh, but I can't help be a little proud that, well, it, does appear and it was kind of a big part yeah very big part. but it made no logical sense to me in terms of the story even the internal story it didn't make any sense to me what uh, was going on so. for, for those of you who may be here that don't know what happens to cubert in the movie pixels uh cubert uh is a trophy that is won by earth against the aliens uh which which then turns into a beautiful woman Marries Josh Gad, and they have baby Cuberts yeah. together. It's, it's it's exactly what everyone yeah. was expecting, I'm sure. Yeah, no, I can see that. Yeah. Which I believe is the backstory to Cubert that, that, that you wrote in that paper in the 80s. That was not predicted. Yeah. yeah, that was not the backstory. No, no, sir. Yeah, we never actually got what the backstory was. I'm no. sorry, I'm spending so much time on Cubert, but uh, I would love to know the backstory. Uh you know. I don't remember enough in detail. <laughs> no! When, when, when I write my mem- memoir, uh, no, it'll be in there, okay? Oh. I promise there'll be a, a page that of that. That was a yeah. teaser. Yeah, that's a teaser. Memoir. Yeah, right. That's right. My card starts with Cuba. It's underlined. That's what I wanted to know. Are you, are you excited for the Rampage move? I am. I am. I got, well, I'm excited again. They first announced Rampage four years ago, and it was supposed to premiere in 2016. Um, and then that, I never heard anything more. Um, I did my, you know, I did my part. I contacted the producers. I told them, you know, hey, came up with the game. I've got a lot of material here. Don't be afraid to flood me with questions. And I'm, I'm still waiting for an answer. Um, and then I, and I wrote a letter right away to, um, Stan Lee. Because I said, hey, you know, they're doing a movie based on my characters from years ago, my cartoon characters. And as in case they ask me to do a cameo, would you play me? Because you have more experience. And he, he's, he's yet to answer me either. But you should um, cameo in all the Rampage movies like Stan Lee does in all the Marvel movies. That's what I, yeah, well, but yeah. he could play me. No, well, you he could play, he'll play the real you, and you will play some old man that gives advice to the characters in every movie. Thanks for the old man shot there, kid. <laughs> but, um, but okay, well, I'm going to ask you. Anyway, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm real excited. Once, once I heard the rocket signed on, the project. Yeah, which monster do re- you think he's going to be? I, I would, all I hope is that they remember its humor. 
and that they remember that the people are, that the monsters are the heroes. <laughs> I don't know if he's going to be a monster or if he's going to turn into Qbert at the end and yes. marry Josh Lizzie, <laughs> marry Lizzie, but you know, whatever happens, I'm just, I'm delighted that they're doing it. I'm delighted that they're messing with it. Now I will say, fix it Felix though, since yes. Jeff brought it up. I loved that movie. The whole Game Refuge studio, like oh, 30 yeah. of us went out, we all saw it, and I loved that movie and the producers got it exactly right i mean that is the way that's what happens when an arcade closes everything about that movie was, <laughs> was wonderful <laughs> the only thing that was a bummer was the fact that they couldn't show rampage in the arcade because as everyone knows wreck it ralph is yeah. George yeah, that's from point. Rampage. Yeah. So that's a good were point. they ribbing you like there's Cuber? I, <laughs> I, I, uh, I, yeah, I just I love that movie though. I thought it was a terrific movie, but yeah, I I think when when Wreck It Ralph was when Ralph took off his makeup at the end of the day, he was hairy and looked like a gorilla. <laughs> <laughs> I wish it could just be me. <laughs> And, uh, Doc, you also have some brand new arcade games. Yes. Tell us some about because I love that there are still new arcade games coming out, because everything seems to be going towards console, because that's where all the money is. Uh, pe- people think that. I don't, I honestly don't think that's true. Really? Um, I think there's plenty of room in the market for both, like there was back in the day, and it just seems like so many other developers just step over the arcade to rush mm-hmm. to the to the money from the console stuff right. but uh like the amount of traffic and the amount of that we see at our place at, at the galloping ghost and uh the amount of arcades that are opening up there's just such a tremendous demand for for new games mm-hmm. um we've been working on a on a game for quite a while called dark presence right uh it's a one-on-one fighting game um I've currently just because we have so much stuff going on, I've kind of handed that off to two of my other guys, uh, Will and Jeremiah, who've been doing a tremendous job on it. But then we have another game that uh, we've been working on uh, called Fish in a Barrel, which okay. has been sounds uh, easy. It's a really cool, like frantic four-player light gun game that actually takes place. You, you the cabinet is an actual barrel. And you're shooting down at these fish that are coming up. <laughs> and it was, uh, designed and created by Brandon, uh, one of our guys who is just incredibly talented. And he's, he, he likes classic arcade games and you can, you can see where he's kind of trying to be influenced by the, he gets it. Like he wants to make old, old style arcade games relevant again. And uh, then the next step, we've been working on a game with Brian called Raiders Run, which has okay. been uh, just such an incredible thing to go work with people that have made all of the classics. Mm-hmm. Like, and and the, the demo for that is here, right? Uh, it's not playable, yes, but right. the, the, the cabinet. For the ca- all three games, cabinets are here. Uh, we had a little mishap with the Dark Presence cabinet and... Uh, Fish in a Barrel is on, but not playable right now. But, um, yeah, it's been really incredible to uh, kind of... We want to really bring back arcades. Right. And to do that, every, a lot of things have to change on a lot of levels. Not just It's not just opening an arcade and here's some games. It's changing the mindsets of, hey, arcades will sell. Yeah. Like Step we have, one, become a Pokestop. 
<laughs> we just happened to be one by chance. So uh, that was fortunate for us. So I saw Dark Presence last year. I didn't get a chance to play it, but it looks awesome. It is a one of those live action, like Mortal Kombat esque. It it was actually supposed to have several of the original Mortal Kombat actors. Oh really? Uh, well, I had met Daniel Pacina years and years oh, ago. Uh, we had originally uh, approached him and Cat uh, and Tony to uh, be in our game, and. It was, they were very supportive on it. They were, I, I, it was in part like the amount of filming. We ended up filming for four years. Oh, wow. Every day for four years. And it was incredibly difficult on the actors. Um, just a were lot. they able to jump slowly? <laughs> some. Some? Some? <laughs> that joke it was, only works if you were here before. <laughs> it is, is, it's an acquired skill. It is. It's tough. It's tough. But. Um, yeah, it, it was even back then, like we, we started filming in 2005 and wow. we got out in 2009 and then we took a hiatus to open the arcade. We had to take about four years off because the arcade was just so overwhelming. Oh yeah. So all of our production guys kind of shifted over to work on arcade, but, uh, yeah, we've always wanted to have the influence of the people that have made the classic games that everybody recognizes. And those games themselves are, they're different than the console games now. Right. The lifespan of a game now is at best a couple of months. And mm -hmm. these games that Brian have worked on and Jeff have worked on and the games that Daniel was in, they're on just such a different level. Like they're, they're, timeless there people will play them forever they don't have that small window of well, the next one will come out like people will always play mortal kombat 1 and mortal kombat 2 right and rampage and even if they do sequels now like in in cubert there, like, there you go <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's one of those like if you they just can't make them like that anymore or they right. choose not to just because they're so interested. It's so much about money now. And it's just, there's not as much innovation. Right. It's about doing a sequel that'll sell well. Whereas back in the day, you did a game and then it was like, wow, I want to move on and make something else because I just made that other game. Yeah. Right. And it's, it's just different. It's a different thing now. Doc, do you find a lot of people uh, upset that they're not getting tickets while they're playing at the arcade? <laughs> we had... When we were opening, and again, this is one of the big problems with the industry, I think. I don't, the industry just doesn't know itself. Like, we had so many people coming in telling us, oh, no ticket games, you're going to be closed in two months. Yeah, I want to be able to win a plastic comb. Right. I need that. Where are your spider rings? It's like, <laughs> it's. I'm wearing them. <laughs> yeah. It, it's just the mindset, it's kind of gone off in its own direction with, Nobody kind of revisiting it and being like, hey, we need to change some stuff. And that's really what it's really the goal of both Galloping Ghost Productions and the Galloping Ghost Arcade. Like, mm -hmm. um, we've helped 14 arcades open since we've opened now. That's and awesome. we're very open with our business model. Like, we, we try to be not keep everything secretive and that's one of the big problems within the industry it's like everything is so secretive and 
you can't talk to this person and it's all about grabbing the money. But mm -hmm. what's helped us been successful has been just like, we'll tell everybody the formula for how we opened and it was honestly it was really easy the hard part is and, and the bar business model is it's free play but door charge right it's 15 bucks to get in um and then everything is on free play Favorite thing in the world. Yeah, I love that idea because I I will immediately forget that I spent money to go because I've gone to a couple free play arcades and just the ability to just press start again and continue and not put a quarter in. Absolutely, a twelve year old in me like it's free, it's free. I'm not spending any money. <laughs> well, the psychology on it on how it gets you to play all these different games. It's mm -hmm. like before when you're walking around with a pocket full of quarters, it's always. I have to spend each one of these wisely yeah. because I only I have a finite amount of them, and once I'm out, I'm going home. Mm -hmm. And here, it's it has nothing to do with the door charge or quarters. It's ever, more people tell us that why how can you do this for only fifteen dollars? And it's like it should be more. It's five hundred and thirty <laughs> machines, and it, it's not even about that. It's come check out this ridiculously rare stuff that you've never played before right and on top of that you, like we're very social like we we talk to everybody we try to talk to everybody and we see somebody playing a game or they'll ask about a game it's it's the start of a conversation and it's what makes it more of an experience like the games are obviously it's a huge huge element to it but there's so much more and the fact that we have like any day of the week you never know who's going to be there. Like Daniel Piscina can be there, or <laughs> Brian Colin, or Jeff Lee, or Philip Ahn, Eugene Jarvis. Like the amount of industry people that just come hang out there yeah. just to socialize and see. Like they're also fans of it too. Right. Um, I, I get George Petro, who texts me, who runs Play Mechanics, who does like Big Buck Hunter and most of the relevant arcade games that are out there. Uh, I get texts from him. We just put up uh, two tigers. It's an incredibly rare game. Most people haven't heard about it. It's, yeah. it's, it's, I immediately thought like Tiger Electronics, this little <laughs> weird handheld <laughs> that I used to play as a child. 1982, I believe. A very classic game. But he's like messaging. He's oh, that was my favorite game. He's like, nobody knows about it, but that's such a cool game. Mm -hmm. And the industry people have an appreciation for what everybody else worked on as well so it's it's great to see them react to it yeah well it's, and it should be obvious there is no single greater champion for the return of the arcades than this man <laughs> yeah because his business model he says is easy no seriously his, he claims his business model is easy but his passion I mean, when he's talking about the fact that he's got all these games and that, meta, you know, the, the illustration you used of the quarters and I, I can only got this to play this, this, and this. He wants the industry or the, the new industry, the industry as it reinvents itself, to understand that the fact that you can let people play all these other things they might not have ordinarily played builds a plash, passion in the player for the appreciation, which in turn feeds right back into what you do it's yeah. it's brilliant it's brilliant it makes a lot of sense and i'm i i've always been a big fan of arcades because uh, i was the guy that needed to get a workout and played a lot of dance dance revolution in arcades but i still was very happy that they were there i took a break and played some tekken so uh, and centipede i was a big centipede guy so 
I, I love that the arcades are, are coming back and more than just a nostalgia trip, that there are newer games being developed. Because I know you guys are also working on new projects, right? That's what my card yeah. says. <laughs> well, like, and again, like, the the way the games were made, like, the games went from being, we need to make quarters here. Like, we need to, the difficulty has changed so much. That has changed how games are designed. Like, right. now, you buy a console game, they need to keep the player engaged and talking about it online. From the artist standpoint, they want you to see all the artwork. So yeah. they want you to win eventually. Eventually. And they scale back the difficulty. Like, players, it's interesting to watch really good console players come out to the arcade. Because often, like, a classic arcade game will just beat them senseless. Oh, yeah. And they'll be like, wow, I hope nobody saw that. I'm going to go back to my PlayStation 4 or whatever. Yeah. And I think if you, you can blend that together, you can get people to play. And there are incredibly skillful players out there. Like we used to host, uh, we had a tournament team, a fighting team for Mortal Kombat. Mm-hmm. Um, we sent them literally all over the world, paid their hotels, their airfare, all their tournament wow. fees. They were sponsored players representing us. Uh, and it was, there has to be that bridge that gets, made that brings the console players back into the classic era of like these games are much harder than you're used to like your health isn't coming back it's one hit and you're done (laughs) and that's like we do a lot of scoring at the arcade uh we track all the house high scores and world records um we've had over 300 and i think it's currently over 320 world records set at our place wow and that makes players travel in from literally all over the world. We get players from Japan and Luxembourg and just everybody comes in. Like you can't be in there any day without somebody from being out of state. But it's more about setting a high score and a world record and competing on that level. And it's just incredibly different than console gaming. Yeah, absolutely. And also because you could break the world record and not, like, know that it's already been broken again because because there was a, a lot of times where uh the scores go back and forth because they're on different parts of the country playing cons or <laughs> playing on a cabinet that's not connected to each other for sure it's it's different like the way arcade cabinets are there's a site called orcade and there's twin galaxies <laughs> that track world records twin and- galaxies back Last time I saw, they were dead. <laughs> they are, they're around. They're d- very different than what they used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, it has gone a lot more console based. Right. Uh, it's now peer reviews instead of referees. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, that, it makes it different. But yeah, scoring in general, like the accessibility to find a lot of these games has, like, it's diminished so much that right. we have probably, I think right now 100 and 140 machines that we're the only arcade in the world to have them. Wow. So if you're setting a world record, you you have to do it at our place. <laughs> yeah. And it's it it just makes it interesting you like it's that guy smashed 30 of those machines. Yeah. yeah. World record right. done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no one else will ever play this. <laughs> That's awesome though. Uh but I do have that uh Brian, you were working on a new game that you kickstarted recently. Uh, well, yeah, we <laughs> we uh, a few years ago. Um, uh, of all the games I've I've done, um, 
Rampage is probably what I'm best known for, and then a lot of the Midway Arcade things like Arch Rivals and Pigskin and Xenophobe, and, and there's a generation that loves those and then played them on their home systems and everything like that. But when Jeff Nauman, programmer I did a lot of those games with, and I left Midway after Williams bought us, uh, Jeff and I were the only two guys they kept, and then we did finished Arch Rivals for them and did Pigskin, and then EA contacted me and said, would you come work for us and make nice. games? And and I said, I'm not moving to California. <laughs> Understandable. Uh, and they said, well, um, you know, can you, you know, would you consider, you know, forming your own company? So Jeff and I formed Game Refuge, and the first game we did for EA was General Chaos. Right. We, we uh, went out there, hadn't told them anything about it, pitched the thing to a room full of strangers, scared to death that they're going to say, what the hell is this? Um, and for those that don't know, General Chaos was a, on a Sega Genesis. Uh, ten warriors on a screen fighting against each other, and it was pretty much General Chaos. You had to use a joystick to control a cursor. Uh, it was wow. a forerunner of, uh, you know, any kind of, uh, you know, uh, StarCraft and WarCraft and any any uh, strategy game except with a lot of our kind of humor. So, you know, uh, you had fun when you set people on fire and even when you yeah. burned to death or, or you know, <laughs> pulled a gun out of your... Never mind. But the... Um, and I get more requests for that over the over the years to redo that title than anything else really? we've ever done. So a few years ago, we had some free time. We started, uh, I had a great team of uh, animators and programmers. We got about halfway through. We tried a Kickstarter. Um, unfortunately, the same week we started the Kickstarter, uh, I was out doing an interview for the indoor kids, and I found out I had oh. cancer. Oh uh, so the next uh, three, next few months, uh, when I should have been promoting the heck out of the Kickstarter, I was a little tied up. So uh, everything everything went well except for the Kickstarter, um, and so we've we've got about a half a game finished right now. And but General Chaos <laughs> Two is coming. Um, we've we've got a uh, a client who I'm doing a couple games for now that we've been talking about. Uh, what we're going to do for the third game, and I'm leaning on him very heavily um, to to make sure that our next game is General Chaos too. For the but. folks at home, he leaned on Doc Mac. <laughs> <laughs> but that's awesome. I'd love to see that game. It'd be absolutely fantastic. There's going to be a lot of people happy to see it. Uh, Jeff, do you have anything coming down the pipeline that? You want to reveal as exclusive news on my podcast? Because that would be super. <laughs> well, at Wizard World uh, last August, you know, Doc had, by Brian and I and uh, Daniel and some of his old colleagues come out there and hang out. Uh, so the programmer from uh, Argus from, you know, back in the old D. Gottlieb days uh, turned up. And so we talked about doing a project and... Uh, so that's kind of underway, but I don't know that it's going so well at the moment. So we're hitting some snags. So, you know, we've got the game concept, and I think that's all pretty solid, but we're having a problem in the pipeline. Um, I hope to resolve that sometime soon, because I don't think it would take that long to do the game. Um, 
So that's all I can say at this time. It's, <laughs> something's happening, but it's moving slow. So, so you're going to keep that under your hat for now? Uh, yes. yes. Can, can you give us three words to hint towards what this could be and make one of them a lie? Um, <laughs> beans. I'll give you one word. Beans. Beans. Ooh. <laughs> exciting. <laughs> the little brother from Even Stevens is going to have its own game. That joke was for me and me alone. <laughs> yes, very, yes, no, I'm, judging by the reaction out there, yeah, definitely. Uh, Jeff, can you tell us about the Three Stooges game? Well, uh, Beans. Gottlieb, Gottlieb <laughs> had been, was owned by Columbia Pictures, and Columbia Pictures had produced the Three Stooges shorts. And uh, almost from day one, I thought that, well, we should do a Three Stooges game. Uh, but it was a little more complicated because uh, we had to deal with uh, Mo Howard's son-in-law who had a corporation that owns all the rights to Stooges back in the day and maybe still a little bit the case, I'm not sure. So it took a couple years for that to get off the ground. And um, so the game was designed by myself and Sam Russo who was originally a hardware guy who kind of went into the software end of things and uh, we had done a quiz game together there uh, well if Doc could find that prototype that'd be extremely rare because I think they only <laughs> made one and uh, so Three Stooges came out kind of towards the end of the company's existence and it had a limited run because they I think decided to manufacture us versus them uh, which was a Laserdisc game at the time. So that cut the run short. Um, but it was a three-player game. Three, you know, you had your choice of which stooge you wanted to play, and it was typical. Shemp. Except for Shemp. Shemp. No, Shemp. there was no Shemp. No. Yeah, Mo, Larry, Curly, you had a choice of one of those guys, and it was typical stooges, you know, throwing pies, whacking each other with hammers, uh, evading policemen, and so on. Um, I haven't played that game since we made it, I have not. Ne- I've not seen a machine around. Um, I'm hoping someday Doc can find enough parts to uh, revive that. That would that would be a lot of fun to play that thing again. They were stooges. They hired. They had to hire approved actors from um, Norman Maurer Productions to do the voices of the stooges. So it was a little more sophisticated sound than we had dealt with in our earlier games. Um, they didn't just get Billy West? Doesn't Billy West do all the Larry now? Does he do it? Yeah. Well, this would have been before his time, I'm sure. Um, yeah, but that was, that was a fun project and um, enjoyed turning those images from the old shorts into uh, pixelized versions for the machine, even though what actually ended up in the game was, you know, little sprites of the Stooges walking around. Um, my regret is we didn't do it in black and white. Oh, I think yeah. that would have been I think cool. that, that should have been yeah, the way we cool. went with that. Brian's complained about only having 16 colors. Yeah. You, you're like, too many. Well, <laughs> 16 would be great with uh, shades of gray, you know? He's got uh, 50 shades yeah. of gray. And <laughs> three well, there's that. Seems yeah. like a natural. Yeah, there's bondage know. and uh, yeah. all kinds of mayhem. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm gonna Make sure your slapstick is consensual. Guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's all we ask. Uh, so I'm going to open the floor to, to, to questions, but I have the most important questions for all three of you first, and then we'll open the floor. Uh, Jeff, are you good at Cupert? Um, I get into the 30s, 
That, so that's not so good, I guess. Yeah, that's, that's, good. that's a little above average, I would say. Yeah. All right, cool. Uh, Doc Mac, uh, what would you say is your holy grail? What, what's the one game that you're looking for that you just can't seem to find or just want to get your hands on? Uh, it's it's actually just kind of appeared in the last few days. It's called R360. R360? Yes. I've never heard of this. It is. Uh, it was put out in 1991 by Sega, and it is uh, basically you sit in it, and it's able to spin all oh, over the place. I've seen so, this exactly once, and this was like years yeah. ago. <laughs> it came out. It was like about a hundred and seventy thousand dollar machine, <laughs> and uh, there's none of them out there. There's like twenty five of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was like Disney or something. They had yeah, it, it was. The precursor to it was Galaxy Force 2, which I found a few years back for $500 out in Ohio. Oh, wow. And that sits down, it spins around, but uh, it's, it's, that's a space game. R360, you're actually using, it's basically like a redesign of Afterburner. Okay. So when you're doing barrel rolls, you're going along with it. When you're doing loop-de-loops, you're going along with it. So our big problem is it's out in Spain. So yeah. go get it from Spain. If we have it brought over on a, it'd have to be freighted over, and it's too tall to go in a freight container. So it would have to go uh-huh. just inside the ship, and, <laughs> and those guys are gonna play it. Yeah. Well, the, oh, with well, the movement of the boat, I'm sure that's <laughs> a great ride. Then it's well, the, smell like vomit. <laughs> yeah. So that's we're kind of lining up on that one. It's. We have to fiscally. It's it's getting it. It's easily the most expensive game. I understand. So <laughs> we're we're treading cautiously on if we should get it or not. But there's been so you many. You should. You absolutely one hundred percent should. <laughs> we're trying. We're trying. As someone who's not spending any money, <laughs> you should. That's, yeah, we hear game requests almost every day. Of like everybody wants all their favorites, and of we course. we try to have them all. You so. guys have Carnival. We do. Sure. We do. One of my favorite games. Amazing. Pod Racer. Oh, Pod Racer. Uh, we do. How many? Just one. Uh, we only have. We have no. We have no duplicates of any of our machines. Uh, so it's. It's not Noah's arcade. <laughs> <laughs> and Brian, most important final question. Brian, why are you in the White Castle Hall of Fame? I, I am in the White Castle Hall of Fame. Um, it's a the we were we were working on a uh, we were working on a game. We I have a very simple business model. Somebody pays me money, I make games for them. So and I'm not much of a businessman, but been lucky enough. People have been tapping me on the shoulder for 30 years now, uh, 20 years since we formed our own uh, company, but. And we've done all, so we've done all kinds of stuff all over the map. And we got an idea for a, uh, a, a new gaming concept, uh, legal gambling concept came up to us while we were working for the casinos. And, and I thought, boy, this is the answer to how to do a Spy Hunter 2, to how to do a racing battle game. Uh, this is the perfect answer. Let's, we got uh, onto a uh, had a programmer. We got it into a game engine, and it was an. That's a whole nother story. But the <laughs> the the 
I went out to the artists at the time and I said, look, we're trying out this new game engine. I need you guys to make me some landmark buildings so we can see, because it's fairly low res. It was quite a few years ago, but uh, fairly low resolution. But I need you guys to create some recognizable, iconic buildings. And the one, and the one animator did a white castle. You know, he just did the White Castle hamburger place. And and uh, someone from the office wrote White Castle and said, you know, th well, and then we had to, then we had to finish it. We had this little goblin who was going to be in the game, and, and he's running around the White Castle when there's little sliders floating around and everything else. So we sent, we, he sent off a, a letter to uh, White Castle, and they, they, Put us, the three of us, myself and the two animators, into the White Castle Hall of Fame that year. <laughs> and then when the game did come out, they, uh, when it was finally released for PC, um, they included white ca uh, slider coupons in the game. <laughs> in the game. So, yeah. yeah, I'm telling you, that, that is my proudest moment. Thank you. Thank you very much. Right, so, I'm going to open the floor to questions because. I, I, there's just so much information in the three of you guys that uh, I shouldn't be the only one that gets to ask questions here. Uh, so I'll open the floor to you guys. Uh, is there anything you would love to ask these guys that's just in the back of your mind? If not, I'll just continue to ask questions to them. Any questions you'd like to ask these guys? Yes? Do you have many casual gamers come in, or is it just mostly the Oh, it's... It's everybody. It's uh, every age demographic, every skill level. Um, we've had players that have never set a high score before. Uh, they've become regulars, and now they have a, a dozen world records. So it's like the place, it, it doesn't matter. It's definitely built for hardcore gamers, but it is so inclusive to the casual and ga casual gamer. Anybody can come in. There's like, there's no ego. Like, we do a gamer of the year, and those guys are such advocates of gaming. Like, it's there's no egos at the place. It's no like, well, I'm the best at this, and I'm on the machine, so I'm. It's those guys will help you learn to play even better. It's all about the sharing of like strategies and stuff. So it's it's we get people in from everywhere that travel in and it's the full range. Didn't you just have a nine-year-old set a, a new world record on Mad Planet? Was it Mad Planet? Mad Planet. Yeah. One, of, yeah. one of Jeff's, Jeff's games. games. Yeah. Uh, Don't we have, we have a world record holder right here? We She's, do. Yeah. Yeah. Flicky. Yeah. Flicky. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Flicky? Yes. It was a Sega game back in 1980. Oh, I thought you were saying that was her name. No. <laughs> her, her name is Danielle. She's legally changing it. <laughs> this is Flicky. <laughs> so, yeah, we, we uh, had an 11-year-old who never played much arcade games before. He came in and he worked at it, and he took a world record that stood for over 15 years. Oh, my God. It's held by, uh, it was held by a player that he's got a ton of world records, and is he's a tremendous player. Uh, and the score was thought to be that might be the most anybody will ever set. And then this 11-year-old came in and just oh trampled God. it. Like, he, the game actually, uh, and again, because, like, they, they're able to speak with Jeff and... Uh, well, I was not they, much help, but Khan, yeah, she had... <laughs> turned him on advice, to yeah. the programmer, yeah. Khan yeah. Yabamoto, who... 
uh, was talking with them from Japan. And he was telling them how, he's like, you know, at stage 99, if you can get to 99, when it flips, it gets easier again. And, like, he's getting up to level 85. So once he's able to flip the whole game, he'll he'll just set the score. And it'll just go way, way up. So. Wow. The did, did the Who immediately write a musical about him? It's <laughs> <laughs> not to my Who? <laughs> yes, do the whole thing. Sorry, couldn't resist. <laughs> the band, not oh, the, band, the band. The band, no, the band? no. Yes, yes. yes? <laughs> no, Who? <laughs> All right. Okay. Ah. <laughs> you guys enjoy that. <laughs> We did. Yeah. We did all of We're still giggling. Uh, there's someone that drifted out. They're asleep back there in the back. But we had fun. We enjoyed that. But that's awesome that that someone so young just went in and stole that that world record. Well, it, it's definitely a lot of work. Like there's 95 percent of the players that go there don't care about scores. Uh, they just want to check out some games and, until they're that close. Until until they're that close, and then you got them. Yes. <laughs> and you got them. Start raking in all those free continues things. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, any other questions? Anyone else uh, have anything that they want to ask? I tried to look up who else was in the uh, White Castle Hall of Fame, and my phone stopped working. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's on purpose. It's them and Harold and Kumar, and that's it. That's it. That's it. <laughs> it's the only people in the hall. My wife actually teared up when they <laughs> present. I kid you not. We, they flew us to Columbus uh, and, and presented us with these nice little plaques, mm-hmm. and then they said, now we're going to hang them for posterity. And we walked out of, it was like the president of the company's office, and walked out of it there, past a maintenance closet, down a small <laughs> stairway into a hallway about six feet long, where there are about eight other plaques up there. And, you know, we're all just kind of smiling, and my wife teared up, knowing that that plaque was going to be hanging there, at least until they moved Did to a bigger, that bigger that uh, office or the end of time. castle was some kind of like uh, foreign dignitary? Or I'm, I'm not sure, but it was, it was a moving experience. Yeah. It was a experience. Uh, what do you guys think of the modern adaptations of your games? Did you have a hand in those? or Me, no. No, you didn't have a hand in I the... redid Rampage's World Tour after mm-hmm. we formed Game Refuge. Midway came back to us, and but nothing, nothing since. Okay. The only one I ever worked on was a Cubert 3. I think it was for Super Nintendo. Th- that's the one with the real psychedelic background. Right? Yeah, but I didn't do the backgrounds. I did, did the, the foreground characters in, in that instance. Uh, I had a larger color palette, so that was cool. Uh, <laughs> no, that's pretty solid. But that's about the only one. In fact, there were adaptions of games I had never realized that had been ported over to consoles and so on. You know, Doc picked up a, a game that Warren Davis and I did later for, uh, it was premiere at that time, uh, Exterminator. He, it's got a wacky cabinet and uh, Warren's idea, there's these floating hands and they're grabbing these bugs or you're shooting these bugs from your fingers. And um, so a couple of years ago for the Midwest Gaming Classic, I was putting together a slideshow. I was trying to find graphics for that game and stuff I was pulling up on Google made me realize that, wait a minute, these images were ported from a, a console version. I had no idea huh. that they had turned that into 
a home game. So there's been instances like that where we don't even know. The corporate overlords just run with stuff, and they don't let us minions ever know. Have you ever seen the, the Windows Cubert ripoff? There's a Windows Cube. Oh, ripoff? there's a Windows no, Cube ripoff. No. That's the first Cube mm -hmm. I ever played. Oh, no. And then someone was like, you know, there's just like a real version of that, right? Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is great. <laughs> it's a little spaceman that does Oh, okay. Just, I've, I've seen, yeah, other little copies, you know. But yeah, I don't keep like, track. What are your thoughts don't on keep it track. On someone taking your idea. That, that, you, that you created when you had black lights on. And yeah, well, I don't know. You know, I mean, it's kind of cool in a way, but like I said, I don't derive any revenue from that anyway, so it doesn't really... I don't feel like I'm getting ripped off in a way. Imitation is the sincerest yeah. form of flattery. So. Let's face it, that's the only way you can look at it. I mean, yeah. when, when... I mean, we did... We did uh, our tribals, and that was Jeff Nowman, the programmer that I worked with, like on Rampage and, and others. He came, and we... We'd done some games where you control multiple characters, and he came back. He's, he was tired of playing games where you just had to do this, and the programmer wants you to do this complex series of things to make. And he's like, no, basketball, sports is about strategy. And he came up with our tribals and, and the concept for our tribals. And not being a sports guy, I added the following of the other players so he could punch him in the face. But to make it fun for me, and he made it fun for him, and then all the time we're asked, you know, but, you know, NBA Jam made all the money and it was your design. It's like, that's not the way to look at it. The way to right. look at it is we did something nobody done before and then somebody made it better. Mm -hmm. And that's the only way you can look at something like that, really. I mean, yeah. That's much better than jealousy, which is, well, we <laughs> feel as comedians anytime yeah. somebody comes up with a joke we didn't think of. <laughs> It's not even our idea. It's just a good idea. Yeah. Duh. I should have thought of that. Uh, what else do I have here that I want to talk about? Uh, Discs of Tron? You worked on Discs of Tron? Discs of Tron was the first game I ever worked on. I, I got hired as an animator, and uh, that was a great game to start. It was... Uh, the programmer on that was um, meticulous and insane, and... For those of you that don't know the game, it is a silvered mirror game in which um, you really feel that you're looking at a within a 3D space, and this was the same hardware as Rampage. So it was not a 3D hardware in any way, shape, or form, but just with the way that the uh, George Gomez and the guys who created the cabinet and Bob Dinnerman was the programmer, they created this 3D world and the math, and you believe you were playing inside of this wonderful, uh, this game of Frisbee, basically. <laughs> yeah. Uh, fr death, fris Frisbee death. Um, just for, like from the movie Tron. And I had to, you know, I came in and added the animations and got as much as we could out of the limited amounts we could. But yeah, that was a great game to get started on. That was a great game to get started Doc, can, can I play a game with you real quick? Maybe. Okay. Uh, this is. Uh, I want to know if I made these games up. <coughs> okay. Or if I actually remember these what? from my childhood. Okay. Right. One of them was a hologram. It's called Time Traveler. Yeah. We fight like a cowboy in the beginning. Yes. You are a cowboy. You are a cowboy. Yeah. You, you got to shoot the Native Americans. <laughs> They're trying to kill you. The game was actually released on a laser disc. So. Um, Sega put it out in 94, and about 
a few months after it came out, they realized that the laser discs were starting to fail already. It was a few months after laser discs had come out. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, they, was a mistake. They quickly had, it had a giant white. It almost looked like a washing machine cabinet. Mm-hmm. Um, when the laser discs started to fail, they. Sega's answer to that was, well, we're going to make another game. And so because the fighting game craze was already hitting, uh, they made another game called Holiseum, which was they got rid of the Laserdisc player and they made this very quick uh, fighting game with four characters that ran off of just a standard Jamma board. So a lot of the Time Traveler cabinets were converted to Holiseum, and then most people, it's not like a really... You can't play it a ton. <laughs> it kind of loses its appeal after a while. It's kind of a niche game. Um, but we actually have both of them side by side. So, But yes, that existed. I have one more. It is a driving game where you have a gun and you can have someone sit next to you with a gun. That is lucky and wild. Okay. For a split second, I thought you were talking about Spy Hunter. <laughs> <laughs> Those games are all real. They really exist. Uh, so uh, we're running out of time. Any last-minute questions here? Yes, sir. Can I play the game? Can, can you yes. play the game? Yeah, all right. Uh, oh, other questions. Does this exist? It's stump Doc. I'm not trying to stump him. I'm worried I made Which one? games up. Portman? 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 I'm not familiar with that one. It's a game where you, um, you work on the docks and you've got to... I have heard of it. I have heard of it. I I've never. Just because it's rare yeah. doesn't mean that it's, it's good. Got the yeah. value behind <laughs> it. Very hard for us to find out any information about this game whatsoever. That's that's a big thing. Like there's so even on so many of the games, there's like so little documentation, and that's one of the things that we. It's fun for us. Like we make a lot of videos, and like we just love getting the more inf- more information out there not just about the game and the gameplay but the technical aspect of it and the cabinet and who worked on it and uh, how many were made and stuff and just we try to get that information out there but no nope. yeah i've i have heard of it i've never seen one for sale though so uh, it's prob- yeah. probably i probably that's the thing. There's the difference between, like, we call it, like, there's collections out there that just have outrageously rare stuff. Uh, but, the, like, the we call them super collectors. And they usually just have tons and tons of great obscure games, but they're hidden away in the vaults somewhere. And people just never see them again. And that's the unfortunate thing. And we get people that come out and they're like, we have a Beavis and Butthead prototype game. And there were 12 of them made. Most of them have been, are gone. Uh, several of them are not working. And we have it just out on the floor. Like, we have Primal Rage 2. There's only three known board sets in existence. And it's, oh, it's wow. just out there for everybody to play. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of crazy. And <laughs> we get outrageous offers for, for these games. Like, people, collectors want to buy them. And it's like, uh, if we were to sell them, we we know they'll never be seen again. They're just going to go into somebody's basement collection, yeah. and people aren't going to get to enjoy them. So it's it's worth the risk of uh, putting them out and letting people enjoy them, and that's why they travel. So that's awesome. Uh, so uh, we're running out of time. So uh, 
I'm going to ask you guys if you have any parting bits of wisdom you'd like to get out. If you, someone wanted to get into, say, game design or uh, arcade ownership or having really large oh, arms. Boy. Doc's huge, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. In terms of game design, it's, it's probably easier than ever. You know, there's so many tools out there uh, that don't require the programming skills that were needed at one time. It depends on what kind of game you want to make. Uh, and the world's always ready for a fresh idea, uh, but that's on you, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, and you, you probably won't have a fresh idea right away. Uh, you, you can only kind of learn from what people have done before. That's, I mean, that's how you start your path. Um, at some point, then, yeah, hopefully you'll get that inspiration and come up with something that people will enjoy. Whether you'll have success or not, that's that's another question. Like it, it definitely is easier than ever uh, to make games. Yeah, like the what Jeff and and Brian had to work with back in the day. The limitations of sixteen colors, and you can't have anything bigger than so many sprites across and up. And right, it's it's un- unbelievable the games that were made with those limitations. And now the limitations are. There aren't any, really. Mm-hmm. Um, most people, uh, we get so many people that come up to us and ask, ask like, how can I make video games? And what? how can I go start with a company? And, uh, you know, honestly, if you can get a, gr- a really solid group of people around you, like, it's it's not a, a single effort. It's It's a bunch of people making games, especially now. The games are thousands of people working on them. Like, I couldn't do what, what we do. Like, my team is unbelievable. Like, uh, all my guys on productions, you got Jeremiah, Will, Brandon, Phil, like, they're, they are all so innovative in what they do. And then on top of that, like, the people who have worked on games before, they, they, they're all accessible. Like, you can talk to them. They're, they're happy to help. They love this stuff too. So if you surround yourself and don't look at it as this, like, oh, how could I make a game? Right. Start doing it. You'll find other people that are passionate about it and that want to make games too, and they'll latch on and bring their what skills they have to the table as well. Gotcha, gotcha. Brian, any any bits of wisdom you want to uh, give us before we take off? Just like in general, like in general, just or game design. We were sticking with game design, but if you or if you you know. Talk some about good game White Castle. If I start knowledge. talking about game design, we're here for another hour. I, I'm very <laughs> passionate about the process. Um, I I think game design is creative problem solving. It is it is for me. It's uh, getting as many answers as you can before you start. Getting it all up here and not doing it is not not doing it alone. Bouncing those things off of people. Uh, Jeff and I worked so great uh, 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 for so many years, and and with but with any team, but we were very different people. And if you both agree, that's a good thing. But if if one or the other doesn't see it that way, um, you know, it means it needs a little more tweaking. And two, design is design can be confrontational. Yeah. It can be very much, it's, you know, you've got passion, I've got passion, <laughs> I believe this, I believe this. 
And but as long as you have the mutual respect, what ends up it all the game becomes something that's bigger than the sum of its parts. And I don't know any other way to, to describe it. It's fun. It's um, but when people ask me for like a you know a, a path to become a designer. I mean, a lot of what Doc just said is, you know, go out and do it. Just start doing yeah. it. Don't wait to be taught. Don't wait to ask what is the right right system or the right tool or the use what you've got. Work with what you've got. Make what you can make. You'll learn from it. From there, you'll know better the next time what not to do. Um, you learn as much or you learn more from your mistakes than you do from everything you get right. It, design being if you want to be a game designer you want to be a creative problem solver no matter how you want you're going to get there if you've got what it takes because that's what being a designer is is mm -hmm. finding answers to I don't know what the hell I've got to do so yeah it's it's a, it's a fun way to make a living I gotta say <laughs> absolutely guys thank you so much for being here thank you thank you Hi, Calibur Plus Two Comedy. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Thanks, everybody.